So tonight we're going to hear God speak to us through his word. And in our series on John, we are going to uh, encounter the beautiful parable where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the world. And he offers her the wonderful and eternal gift of living water. And as we'll hear tonight, uh, 2,000 years later today, this is a gift that Jesus offers each and every one of us for those who have parched and thirsty souls. So come with me now as we read through John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You were a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know, 
for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I've done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Great to be here tonight. My name is Paul. I haven't met you. Uh, Welcome to those who are at home. Please keep your Bibles open to uh, John 4, and I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Father, open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Uh, Stir our souls that we might uh, see again the glories of Christ, and send us from this place fully satisfied fully satisfied in our, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. We ask that for his name's sake. Amen. It was uh, St. Augustine who famously said these words, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless. Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. 
And I do think those words are particularly poignant for our world today. We are full of restless souls. Uh, words used to describe Sydney in 2020 were these. Empty, disappointed, disillusioned, isolated, lonely, confused, scared, trapped, hopeless, and dissatisfied. And I know that all those words are quite negative, but they do sum up how many people in our society are feeling. Life is full of disappointments and uncertainties and shattered dreams. And I think COVID, you know, has almost accentuated that the, the things that we put our hope in and put our trust in, that they're just not reliable. And yet we keep on chasing all these fleeting things of this world. Uh, David Beckham says this, As long as I'm happy and healthy, and my family are happy and healthy, then I'll be satisfied. And it sounds wonderful, but what, what happens when he's no longer fit and healthy? What happens when his kids are no longer at home with him? What happens when he's no, no longer famous? Will he still be satisfied? There's a wonderful verse from the Old Testament. I think it captures our world today. It's from Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. It's on the screen. God says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. See what he's saying? He's saying that the, the, the people have, have wandered from God, the, the one who can truly satisfy. We're made to know God, to be satisfied in God, but we've wandered from him and we started to, to dig these cisterns thinking they will satisfy us, but they are broken. Uh, for many here, uh, we chase work. You know, work harder, climb the career ladder, get the bigger salary, get the better LinkedIn profile, and then you'll be satisfied, but you never are. For some, it's possessions. Chase more and more stuff. Fill your ever-expanding homes with all this junk. Go on better holidays, have a great experience. But they're broken systems. They never fully satisfy. Same with education. Same with fitness. Same with alcohol. Same with pleasure. They're just broken systems. Or I think the big one is relationships. I hear it time and time and time again. If I could just find the perfect partner, that exclusive, deep relationship with one other human being, then I'll be fully satisfied. But we never are. And we go through life longing and looking and chasing and searching, but we're looking at all the wrong places because they are broken cisterns. Uh, the woman we meet in, in John chapter 4 is such a contemporary figure. She's been married five times. And now she's living with another man. And I'm sure every time she thought, this is the one. This is the one who will make me happy. But he never did. At least, at least not for long. And each time she's left hurting, disappointed, disillusioned and empty. So I think restless is a great word to describe our world. So let me ask you, where do you find your satisfaction? Where do you find your meaning and your purpose and your identity and your security in this world? I love John 4. We meet this Samaritan woman who has gone to the well every single day of her life. But this day is so different. This day she comes feeling empty and hurting and dissatisfied, but she leaves feeling fulfilled and secure and loved and cared for. 
because she meets Jesus. And Jesus offers rest for her weary soul. So tonight I want to just walk through the passage, this life-transforming encounter with Jesus. And then towards the end we find, we look at two glorious truths. So open your Bibles. John 4, verse 3. Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he's going back to his home turf. And verse 4 tells us he had to go through Samaria. Actually, he didn't have to. He chose to. Jesus chose deliberately to go the dangerous way through the West Bank. Remember, Samaria is a place in the Bible where God's people, the Israelites, intermarried with the foreign women and then built a separate temple in Gerizim rather than Jerusalem. So, so Samaria is kind of like the, the religious and the racial rebels of the world. And we're told in verse 5 that he came to a town called Sychar where Jacob's well was. And verse 6 tells us that Jesus is tired from his journey and he sits down by the well because it's about noon. So it's the hottest part of the day and, and Jesus is human, he's tired, he's weary and along comes this, this Samaritan woman in verse 7. And I love this woman. She's so different from the Nicodemus we met last week. Nicodemus, uh, he, he, was, he was a Jew, she's a Samaritan. He, he's a Pharisee, she's this immoral woman. Uh, Nicodemus was this powerful, respectable leader in God's church, and she's this unschooled, unknown peasant woman. And perhaps most significantly, he is named. A man named Nicodemus. She's this anonymous, unknown, nameless woman, the Samaritan woman. And it's quite tragic. She seems to be all alone. That is unusual because the women would normally come together en masse. You've got to understand that the, the well was like the coffee shop of the day. The people would go there daily to have their chats. But this woman, she comes at noon. It was the hottest part of the day. She's all alone. I, I don't know. Perhaps she's ashamed to come with other people. Perhaps the other people wouldn't come with her. She's an outcast. She's a nobody. Anyway, I find her sad because she's this lonely, empty, social outcast. But she meets Jesus. Actually, Jesus meets her. Jesus speaks to her in verse 7 and says, Will you give me a drink? It's an invitation for friendship, for fellowship. And it's like Jesus is intentionally wanting to speak with her. This is not a chance encounter. We're told in verse 8, don't, don't skip over verse 8. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So it takes 12 men to go into town to buy lunch because Jesus wants to be alone. He wants to be alone to meet this messed up, miserable woman with this murky past. And friends, you're supposed to be shocked by this. We're supposed to be outraged because Jesus is being radical. No Jewish man would ever speak to a woman in public. Now, a Pharisee wouldn't even speak to his wife in public. But here is Jesus with great dignity and gentleness talking to this stranger, this Samaritan woman, this outcast, and it is beautiful. You know, in this one moment, in this one moment, Jesus changes the landscape for the treatment of women right across the globe, right throughout history. It's not the main point of the passage, but we need to understand this, that, that women and men are both made in the image of God, fully equal, fully loved, full dignity, full worth. 
See, women are not someone else's property, like some culture would suggest. And the Lord Jesus Christ treats this woman with such dignity and such gentleness and such equality and such love and such care. And I do think we need to learn from that. Jesus did so much to to challenge and to change the societal treatment of women. But that's just a side point. Verse 9, she is amazed. She knows the Jewish custom. She says, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And it struck me, this might be the first meaningful conversation that she's ever had with a man. The first man who's spoken to her with kindness. And Jesus takes the conversation up up again in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus gets our minds working. What does he mean by living water? What's that about? And and water in the Bible, it, it, it sustains you, it refreshes you, but living water... Remember Jeremiah 2, verse 13 again? You've forsaken me, the spring of living water. God is saying, I am the living water. My presence, my goodness, my grace, my cleansing, my mercy, that is like living water for your your weary soul. Or look at the screen again, John 7, verse 38. Jesus says these words, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were led to receive. Isn't that beautiful? What Jesus promises this woman is God himself dwelling within her by his spirit. He wants to pour out his grace and his mercy and his compassion and his gentleness. He wants her to enjoy God and to find intimacy with God and to be satisfied in God himself. That's the promise. She's still confused in verse 11. She still thinks he's talking about natural water. And she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. You have no bucket. And the well is deep. It's a hundred foot deep. It's the only well around here. What are you talking about? She just doesn't get it. But Jesus makes it crystal clear in verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water... This natural water, this H2O, will be thirsty again. We, we need to keep on drinking H2O. We need to keep on drinking water. But he's not talking about natural water. Verse 14, whoever drinks the water, the living water, the Holy Spirit, I give them, will never thirst again. He will quench your thirst. He will satisfy your soul. He will feed your, your hungry souls. Instead, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water that keeps on replenishing itself every day, every hour, every second, welling up to eternal life. He said, I will fully satisfy you and I will fully quench your thirst. That's the promise. By now, she's more interested. She's kind of salivating. She's saying, sir, uh, give me this water. So I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's saying, it would be so wonderful, Jesus, if I didn't have to keep coming every single day with this wretched bucket. Every day I walk alone, I come alone, no one cares for me. It would be so wonderful if somebody could just love me. That's what she's saying. It's been said that the, the woman's water jar, the woman's water pot, is like a symbol of her emptiness. Love this quote. There it stood... Empty again, 
She filled it yesterday. She'd fill it again today and then tomorrow. And that was like her life, a symbol of this never-ending thirst. She'd fill that wretched pot for the rest of her days, but she'd be empty and empty and empty again. That was her pot and that was her. And she's not alone. A psychiatrist was asked recently how they would describe the modern age. And they said the key word is empty. Emptiness. And maybe you're sitting here tonight, maybe you're at home tonight, and you know that you're trying to fill your emptiness with all the stuff of this world that never really satisfies. This wonderful, beautiful encounter. There's two glorious truths about Jesus to understand. Here's the first one. He's the saviour who sees you. He is the saviour who sees you personally. He sees the real you. He sees what you're really like. He sees all your pain and all your shame and all your longing and he cares and he loves you. Twice in this passage, this woman says, verse 29 and verse 39, he, Jesus, told me everything I ever did. He's saying, he knows everything about me. He knows my past. He knows my future. He knows my present. You see, with the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no pretending. With Jesus, no pretense. You, you don't have to hide. I know for some of you here, that is uncomfortable. You like to pretend. You like to pretend that you've got life sorted, that you live in the perfect life. You're a bit scared to admit you, you don't have the perfect life and you're a little bit messed up. Jesus knows you're messed up. He knows that we're all broken and he still loves us. He sees this woman murky and miserable past. The conversation gets really awkward down in verse 16. He says to go, call your husband, and then come back. Now, he's not suggesting a group therapy session. He's trying to get her to see that her problem is that she is trying to fill the emptiness with the things of this world, with men, with relationships, but they never satisfy She spots the danger straight away. She says, I have no husband. I have no husband. I think she's trying to conceal the truth, uh, hide her embarrassment and her shame. But she doesn't need to because Jesus already knows it. Now, when you read verse 17, please don't think that, that Jesus is being judgmental or condemning. That's not his tone. The tone of verse 17 is gentleness and kindness. He says this, Dear woman, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. She she realises that she's made bad choices. She realises that she's messed up and she realises she needs God. I want to say to you, friends, please stop pretending. It is so liberating, it's so beautifully liberating to realise that Jesus knows the real you. You don't have to pretend. I spent years pretending, years putting on masks. I thought I'd find my identity in education and academia. Do a bachelor's, do a master's, do a PhD. Thinking that would, would satisfy me, but it never did. I spent years thinking if I wore the right clothes and got the right haircut and had the right look, then people would love me and accept me, but they never did. And I took triathlons thinking I could be the fittest man on earth and that would make me acceptable, but it never did. 
And I don't know what you're chasing after to try and pretend. You don't have to pretend. Jesus knows, he sees. I love how Jesus treats her with dignity and kindness. He, he sees her pain, he sees her past, he sees her insecurities, he sees her immorality, he sees her outward failures and her inner feelings and he just knows everything about her. And you might be here tonight and you are struggling with your identity. It is liberated that Jesus sees you as you are. You might be here battling with depression. Jesus knows that. You might be here battling with retirement or what you're going to do in the future. He knows that. You might be feeling lonely. Or you might have woken up thinking this treadmill of life, what are we going to do today again and again and again? He knows everything about that and he still loves you and he still cares for you. It's the most beautiful saviour who knows the real you. Second point, a saviour who satisfies you. Not just sees you, but satisfies. I love this quote. When we truly come to Christ, our, our thirst is quenched by the fountain of life and our hunger is filled with the bread of heaven. We discover that Jesus is the supreme source of satisfaction and we want nothing apart from Jesus. We realise that Jesus is better than all the pleasures, pursuits, plaudits and possessions of this world combined. This woman discovered in Jesus Christ uh, someone who would quench her thirst, who would fill her hunger. I love verse 20. She's beginning to understand. She's, she's raising the religious question. She's saying, I, I can see you're a prophet. Our, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship in Jerusalem. Uh, she's not playing a red herring. She's not changing the subject. She's saying, I really want to worship God. I really want to deal with my shame, but where do I go? Such a beautiful question. Where can I go to meet with God? And look at Jesus' response. It is mind-blowing. Verse 21. Dear woman, he says. That's the tone. Dear woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. Just stop there. You'll worship the Father. He's not talking about worshipping God as a creator or worshipping God as the Almighty. He's saying this woman, this immoral outcast woman can know God as a heavenly father, a father who loves her, a father who cares for her. Not the angry father, the dominant father, the abusive father, but a kind, compassionate, caring, loving father. That's what he's offering her. Verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. You don't really know God like that. But we worship what we do know, for salvation is coming from the Jews, from the Jewish prophets, from the Jewish priests, and then the Jewish Messiah who will walk that lonely hill to Calvary and die for their sins. A time is coming, says Jesus, verse 23, and has now come, because Jesus has come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father. There it is again. In the Spirit and in truth, because Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit and Jesus is truth. So when you know Jesus, you can worship God as a father in spirit and in truth. And I love the word used for worship in verse 23. The word for used for worship is normally the bow down word. That's not the word used here. The word used here in verse 23 is literally this. Kiss in the direction of. Kiss in the direction of. And it's just beautiful. He's kind of saying that this woman who has been kissed by so many men but never been satisfied, she's now going to be kissed by God as a heavenly father and find her true satisfaction in him. And just like the, the prodigal son, he's going to seek her, 
He's going to run towards her and welcome her home no matter what she's done. It's so beautiful that this woman who finds her true joy and true satisfaction for her weary soul. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah, I am he. And did you know that in John's gospel, Jesus only explicitly reveals his identity to one person and he chooses this Samaritan woman. So she leaves everything as she follows Jesus. Verse 28. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? It's such a visual image. She left her water jar. He's saying she left her old way of life. She left her emptiness. She left her disappointment and her sorrows and her shame at the feet of Jesus because now she's found everything and now she is full and now she's got the Holy Spirit and now she loves Jesus. She's got a new life full of the Holy Spirit and fully satisfied. And that's what Jesus offers you. This true satisfaction, no matter what you've done and who you are, you can come to him with all your weakness, with all your brokenness, with all your sorrows, with all your pains and find healing and find joy and find peace and to know that you are loved, chosen, forgiven, redeemed and you're a child of God. That's what he offers you. He's the most glorious saviour of the world. The one who sees you as you are and the one who satisfies your soul. Let me finish by asking you just a couple of quick questions. Why do we keep looking for our satisfaction in other things? Why? A quick pastoral moment. I know that you love Jesus. Many of you here and at home, you love Jesus, but it's almost like you have to keep on one hand on this empty water pot, filling it with all this stuff, just in case. It can be very subtle, you know, a subtle focus on your career or on looks or possessions or relationships or church or knowledge. And it's almost saying Jesus is not enough. I want to urge you, he is enough. You'll find rest, security and peace and joy in him. So just start each day by saying, Jesus, you know everything about me. You love me, you care for me and you satisfy me. And my second question is this, if we are fully satisfied why doesn't Jesus ooze more out of us? This woman, she just oozes Jesus. She's the most ordinary woman. But God uses her in extraordinary ways. Do you realise that? She came to the well all by herself. And she becomes this gun evangelist. She goes back to town and she just says, come, come and see the man who told everything about me. Could he be the Messiah? It's a great testimony. She just says, look, I was broken, I was weary, I was empty, I was a nobody, and he loved me, so why don't you try him as well? And again, I just wonder whether if we were just all a bit more honest and real and admit that we are broken, messy people and we found our security in Jesus and just oozed out of us, then perhaps more people would take Jesus more seriously. I love this woman. Because for her, the words of Augustine are true. Her heart was restless. And she found her true rest in a saviour called Jesus. And my prayer is that you'd leave here tonight knowing that you are loved, chosen, forgiven, redeemed, restored, and you found your rest in Jesus. So let me pray.
Father, we thank you that you know us and you see us. You see all our brokenness and our pain and our, our shame. And you lavish us with your love. Thank you, Father, for pouring out your spirit and putting that in our hearts that we might find rest for our weary souls. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us just to begin and live each day fully satisfied, fully content, and fully at rest in Christ. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.